If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me please to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 in the Word of God together. As you know, our theme for this year is In His Presence. And our series and our theme for the month is Embrace His Presence. You know, the reason why I say that is because there are times where we're in His presence because He's promised to never leave us. But we're not conscious of it. We don't embrace that. We don't practice the presence of God in our everyday experience. And maybe you're like me in that. And so I need to be reminded to live in His presence, to be conscious of it, and to embrace it. If you've found your place there, stand with me please if you are able for the reading of God's Word in Luke chapter number 5. And the Bible here says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Him to hear the Word of God, He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. By the way, what is the lake of Gennesaret? The Sea of Galilee. And Luke is the only Gospel writer that refers to the Sea of Galilee as the as the lake of Gennesaret, but that's exactly what it is. Sometimes there are different names given to different things. Who is Silvanus in the Bible? Silas. And so sometimes it does us good to know that sometimes there's more than one uh, word or name given to certain things. But uh, in verse number 2, "...and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets." And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word... I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John and the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Lord, I pray that you would Open the eyes of our spiritual understanding. Teach us by Thy Spirit. Fill us with Thy Holy Spirit, we pray. In the lovely name of Jesus, Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to bring you a message entitled, When We Embrace His Presence. When We Embrace His Presence. I want to tell you something that through the years as I have studied the Word of God, I have found myself identifying with different Bible characters. Have you? Maybe men or women in the Bible that, 
that you see characteristics of yourself in them and vice versa. Maybe you identify with virtues and qualities that they have that maybe you aspire to. Maybe you have heroes in the Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Although as I shared with my Sunday school class today, the the whole point of Scripture is not for me to become more like the Apostle Paul or to become more like the Apostle Peter or to be more like David or any of the greats of the Bible to be more like Abraham. The fact is that God's will for your life and mine is that we be more like Jesus. That's the end all. Not to be more like the apostles, not to be more like the prophets, but to be more like Jesus every day. And that is the end all. But having said that, I think you understand that at times we look at different characters in the narrative of Scripture and we identify with them in certain ways. And I have to tell you that I have always hoped that I could identify myself with John. Because he was that disciple that Jesus loved. He was the one that was faithful and that loved Jesus. And I always felt like I wanted to be just like that. But the truth is, I've always had to identify myself with Peter when I was honest with myself. Because I was impetuous and impatient. Sometimes proud. Sometimes got out ahead of the Lord. Sometimes self-willed. And, uh, and so there wasn't just one moment in Peter's training that was the seminal moment that just caused everything to be launched. There are several periods of time in the ministry of Jesus where he had to deal specifically with Simon Peter. And the culmination of it all was before the ascension of Jesus at the shore of Galilee during the second ingathering of fish after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the recommissioning of the shamed disciple named Peter. But God was not finished with Peter. But I would tell you that Peter and Jesus Of course, we know how to beginning from before the foundations of the world, but if we want to go back to where we can trace it in the physical ministry of Jesus here upon this earth and their encounter together, we would go to Luke chapter 5. And I realize that there is a a record of (coughs) the calling of the disciples in various uh, gospel accountings, but here we find this event in Luke's gospel And it it really tells us a great deal about when we embrace His presence. It was a time when Peter came face to face with the reality that Jesus was not just a good man or a prophet, not just a rabbi, but he believed Him to be God. And although it would be some time later that he would make his miraculous profession and confession of faith, at this point in time, he knew that That no man can do the things that Jesus was doing except to be sent from God. And and, And he was confronted by that here on the shore of Galilee. And when Simon Peter first met with the presence of Jesus, his life was changed forever. There was a work yet that God needed to do in his life before Peter could become that vessel of honor that God would choose Him for. 
Here there was a great draft or a great harvest of fish. <coughs> God was not preparing him to catch fish. He was preparing him to catch men, which are preeminently more important to God than anything in the animal kingdom. I know there are pet lovers here today, and I understand that. And, and a, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. I get all of that. But Jesus never died for anything in the animal kingdom. He died for man. And, and by that I mean mankind. Okay, I'll say well, the pastor is a misogynist. He's trying to relegate women to hell. No, I'm not doing that. Somebody say amen. Don't leave me hanging out there. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> amen. But look, in the same token, God is doing a special work in each of those that He has chosen. He's calling us to come into His presence so that He can mold us into the image of Himself. And this is something that we need to be willing to submit ourselves to. Peter fought about against that over and over again, didn't he? God had a plan for his life, but he was fighting and disputing with the other disciples in the very passion of Jesus about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, that is as unseemly and as distasteful as standing in the hospital room while your mother's dying arguing about who's going to get the sofa. Okay? I mean, that, you just don't do that, right? Some of you are like, you don't? You're going to learn all kinds of things here today, aren't you? Look, up until the very end, he had lessons to learn. And when we choose to embrace the Lord in His presence, there are some very specific things that will take place. I've got more points than I normally do, so I'm going to move faster than I normally do so that we can get out maybe a little earlier than we normally do. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, it's going to depend on you. Okay? <laughs> okay, for every sleeper in the crowd, that adds five minutes. Okay? And uh, for every clock watcher, that adds another five minutes. All right? So it's just all dependent on you right now, all right? <laughs> but anyway, I, I want you to notice some things here in the Word of God that, when, first of all, when we embrace His presence, there is. Revelation. There's revelation. Now, I, I don't mean the book of Revelation. I mean, we see the revelation of God. The Bible tells us in verse number 1, as it came to pass that as the people pressed upon Him to hear the Word of God, He stood by the lake of Gennesaret. What did He do? The Bible says in verse uh, number 3, it says He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. What did He teach them? He taught them the Word of God. Now, I, I, we don't have to stretch this, folks. It's just as plain as the nose on your face if you read the Bible. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was the same was in the beginning with God. And look, the truth of the matter is this. The Word, John 1.14, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is the Word? Jesus. And so Jesus taught the Word of God. What was He revealing to them? 
Himself to them. My friends, you know what this book is? This is the revelation of God to man. God, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, has spoken to us by His Word in these last days. And who is He revealing to us? He's revealing Jesus. He is the living Word. He's the manifestation of the written Word. So Jesus, there on the shore of Galilee, taught them the Word of God. And when they came into His presence, you know what He was doing? He was revealing Himself unto them. That's what He did for His disciples. And they should have learned it, shouldn't they? they? They should have known. And yet, at the end, even after he raised from the dead, there was Thomas, right? There he was. Yeah, I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my hand in his side and put my finger in, 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 the, in the nail prints in his hands. And the Lord didn't rebuke him for that. He revealed himself to them and he allowed him to do so. Why? He wanted them to know Him. And they, He wanted them to come into His presence knowing who He was. And all throughout the Word of God, He was only always revealing Himself unto them. And when we embrace His presence, there's a revelation of God to us. We're mindful of the fact that I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but who? Christ liveth where? In me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So Jesus is living out His divine life in me. And He wants me to surrender to that. And He wants me to be cognizant of the fact that the Lord of glory, the Holy God, the omnipotent God lives in me. And He's promised to never leave me or forsake me. I'm in His presence. He wants me to be mindful of that. And you know, when I am, He's going to reveal His divine life through me. He gave His life for me. That He might give His life to me. That He might live His life in me so that He could live His life out through me. And so, it is a divine life of God, and when we embrace that, there's a revelation. Just like Paul, when he said to the Corinthian church, ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. There were those that were looking at the lives of those converts in Corinth, and it was bearing testimony like a letter of reference that, that Paul was indeed the apostle of God being used of the Lord. And there are things that people are discerning about the Lord as they witness your life yielded to the exercise of God within you, living out His very divine life through you. And so when we embrace His presence, there is a revelation. Jesus was teaching the Word of God, which is a revelation of Himself. And He sought to reveal Himself to those who would listen. Isn't it interesting? There are people that say, I hear you, but they didn't, they're not listening. It's, it's the reason why in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in the letters of the churches in Asia Minor, it says, He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And uh, it's kind of like, your wife sometimes fellows saying, are you listening to me? And you're like, yeah, I heard you. you know, but you couldn't tell them what they said, you know, but, but you heard that they were in there ranting about something, right? And, but you, you're not sure what it was, but you heard it. 
And the, <laughs> come on now, Cookie. Don't tell on me. Linda's in the nursery, I think. Uh, but 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 look. The Bible says, "He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear." See, there there are some of you that the secret to the longevity in your marriage is that you both have taken the batteries out of your hearing aids. <laughs> right. And you just look at each other and nod. It's all right. You can do that with me and just kind of nod. Okay. Secondly, understand this, that when we embrace His presence, there is request. Let me tell you something. We need to come into the presence of the Lord just to enjoy Him. Just to enjoy Him. We do that too little in our lives. If you listen to the song that Becky was singing before I stood up to preach, there are times where we just need to be still. We need to be quiet in the presence of the Lord. Have you learned how to do that? The fact is that there are times where it's okay for us to sit in the stillness with the computer off, the music off, all the electronics set aside. With the TV off, right? And just be in His presence. Some of us are so maladjusted that we can't stand five minutes in that condition. So maladjusted that we have to have noise, we have to have something going on, we have to have. Why? Why can't you just be still and quiet in the presence of the Lord? And we need to do that. I'll tell you something. God doesn't want you just to do that so you can feel good about where you are in your relationship with God. It's because He wants to put something into you. He wants to make you more like Him. Why would He do that? Just so you can feel better about the work that's going on in you? Is that why God does that? No, it's because He has a work for you to do. Do you know one of the things that I've discovered through the years? You can't give what you don't have. How many of you know know that? Somebody needs to tell the federal government, amen? (laughs) They're keeping their seats of power by giving what they don't have. We, We owe almost $32 trillion in debt. Trillion. We can't even fathom that. Do you understand? If we had $32 trillion, it would fill this room up and there would be no space for humans if, if, if we filled it with, with $1 bills. I, I think we'd probably have to fill where, many warehouses full of them. But do you know as a Christian, as much as you want to help and be a blessing to others, you can't give what you don't have. So where do you receive what is worthy to give in His presence? In His presence. And so, when we embrace His presence, there's a request. The Lord made a request of Simon Peter. Though Simon at this point was not yet a disciple, he had not committed his life to Jesus. Simon was aware he'd come in from a night of fishing. He was a fisherman by trade. And there was the Lord teaching the masses by the shore of Galilee. (coughs) And the Bible tells us 
in verse number 4, when he had left speaking, he said <coughs> unto Simon, or, or, or rather in verse number um, uh, 2, uh, that he saw two ships standing by, and then he asked, uh, he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. <coughs> he asked, <coughs> excuse me, he asked Simon if he could use his boat. I have a request of you, Simon. Can I use your boat for a little while as I teach these folks? Would you push it out a little from the land so that people don't press in on me and I can teach everybody? He had a request for him. That wasn't the only request that he made. Later he said, um, will you launch out into the deep? Here's what I want you to do. So he came into the Lord's presence. He listened to the teaching. Even though he was washing his nets and doing all the things that he needed to do, having come in from a long night of fishing where he got skunked, he was hearing what the Lord was saying. And the Lord said, I've, I've got requests for you to do. And I want to tell you something. There are times where we come into the house of the Lord and God is speaking to us and we sense His presence. And there are times when that happens where we just need to sit still and be quiet and let God tell us everything He wants to say. But at the end of it all, you know what we have to come to? Lord, what would You have me to do? Not just, well, I feel good. You know about, about about all the work God's doing in me, man. I'm way I'm I'm light years ahead now, and man, hey, let me tell you how what what me and Jesus have going on, you know, and uh, and, and we're so proud of that. No, not just that, but now I'm a I'm a little more aware of the revelation of Jesus into whose image I'm being formed, and with that comes a responsibility to live out the divine life of Christ. And God is calling me to that life. So He doesn't just say, okay, come and spend time and let's just sit a spell. No, it's always to the end that we may fulfill the calling of God upon our life. It was, look, would you let me borrow your boat? Then it was, listen, launch out into the deep and let down your net for the draft. And, and the Lord had requests of Him. And let me tell you something. This is not just about you checking the spiritual box for the week by being in the house of the Lord. This is about being a equipped to respond to the calling of God that He has placed upon yours and my life. Now, it would be nice if we could just say, well, I'm going to be like the Keswicks, you know, of a generation removed, and I'm just going to say, I'm going to let go and let God. And if God wants me to do something, you know what? He'll just wake me up and, and, and work it all out and He'll make it happen. And we never show up. We never make ourselves available for it. The fact of the matter is, God is speaking. Often we're not listening. And I, I, I want to sit, in a, sit a spell with Jesus. It doesn't mean I have to go out immediately and go do something. Sometimes I need to just be still and be quiet. And I need to learn from that. I need to soak it in so that I can learn how to appropriate that into my life. But it's always at the end that I may be more like Christ. And, and that calls me to respond to the request He makes. Can I borrow your boat? Will you launch out into the deep? Will you let down your net? Will you follow me? Do you see that? God has a work for you. And He doesn't simply desire what we have. He desires us. Let me say that again. He doesn't simply desire what we have. He desires us. 
Can I tell you something? He doesn't need what you've got. He owns everything. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your boat. He doesn't need your car. Listen, God wants you. Because you know why? When He has you, He's got everything that you've got. You've made it available for His use. And if we're holding on to it like gangbusters with white-knuckle determination, nobody's going to get my stuff. It's just a clear indicator that He hasn't gotten you yet. Because you haven't let Him. So, when we embrace His presence, there's a request. Thirdly, when we embrace His presence, there is repentance. See, how do you know that? Because the Bible says in verse number 5, that Simon answering unto him, uh, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. What's the next word? Nevertheless. In other words, now here's a change. A turn at thy word. So, Master, this doesn't make any sense to us. We're professional uh, fishermen. We've, we've done everything that fishermen know how to do to, to catch fish. And they're just not biting right now. And everybody knows that this is not the time of day to be trying to catch fish. But because you've asked me to, I'm going to do what I would not otherwise do. There was repentance. What did he do? He changed course. He didn't say, I'm going to finish mending my nets and washing my nets, and then I'm going to put them up and I'm going to go have lunch. No, he didn't say that. He said, I'm I'm going to take the net that I have here and I'm going to launch out because you asked me to do it. I'm going to change direction. He became willing to do what he did not understand in obedience to Christ. And my friend, when we embrace His presence, there will be a repentance where I'm willing to change my mind and my course when God reveals Himself and His will to my heart. And we too must be willing to turn to Christ in repentance. Do you know, I'm going to tell you something. That is a great word for the believer. Not just, you know, some people say, you've got to repent of all your sins in order to be saved. Now, folks, I'm just going to tell you something. Without going into some long theological discourse, there are so many people that say that and they don't even understand what they're saying. What do you mean, repent of all your sins and be saved? What do you mean? Tell me, what do you mean by that? You've got to give up on sinning? Did you do that? So we can follow you around this week and, and we'll never see you hedge on sin. Right? So, so what are you talking about? You know, repentance was a great word that Peter understood. You know why? He was a Jew. And when you see that used most often in the New Testament, it was aimed at the Jews. You know why? They said that Jesus was an imposter. You know what they had to repent of? The fact that, whether knowing or unknowing, they crucified the Lord of glory. And they had to come to the place where they changed their mind about who Jesus was, that He was indeed the Messiah from heaven, the Anointed One of God, Yeshua HaMashiach, that He was God in the flesh. And that's they had to repent of their way. You know what's amazing to me? Um, 
My, my dad knows this too. We, we've had conversations about this. People talk about repentance. One day I was, and I've told you this before, but for those that haven't heard it, it'll be helpful to you. I remember one time I was preaching in a pastor's conference several years ago in the Philippines, and the subject of repentance was a hot topic, and the pastors were writing down questions, and they were submitting them to the panelists, and I was on the panel, and there was one question that was given to me, and it was, please explain, uh, you know, repentance uh, and and for salvation, and and so everybody was, you know, on pins and needles waiting to hear what I was going to say. And I said, I want to ask you a question. How many of you believe that repentance is a necessary part of salvation? Boy, they were scared to raise their hand. And by, by the way, I'm just give you the simple answer. It is. Let me give you the simple answer. It is. I've got to turn away from my way. I've got to believe that I, there's nothing I can do to save myself, and I've got to throw myself at the mercy of God. But do you know what, what the apostles were calling the Jews in the first century to do? To repent of dead works. So I said to the men, how many of you stand up and say, in order to be saved, you have to repent of your good works? Nobody raised their hand. I said largely the word repentance in the New Testament was aimed towards those that were trusting in the law of Moses as a means of establishing their own righteousness. Keeping the law. Good works. They had to repent of dead works. And there are people who say, oh, you've got to give up on your sin. Well, they, you've never done that. So were you therefore then never saved? See, we have to turn away from believing that we can get ourselves to heaven that we have any part in our own salvation. And if we think that, we've espoused something that the Scriptures tell us is another Gospel. And listen, Paul said to the Galatian believers, though I, or an angel from heaven, preach any other Gospel than that you have heard, let him be accursed. In other words, add one single thing to the finished work of Jesus Christ, including having to clean up your act in order for God to receive you. If, if I have to repent of all my sins, what I'm doing is I'm cleaning up my act to make myself a candidate for salvation. And grace is the means of salvation and it is only available to the undeserving because the, the definition of grace is undeserved favor. Does that make any sense to you? How many of you are learning something today? I hope so. So, before you start getting caught up in the rhetoric of bumper sticker theology, read your Bible. Amen? Okay. Now that we have that established, there's repentance. He had to turn to Christ and repent. He had to say, okay, this is what I think is the right way to do it, Lord. Nevertheless, at Thy Word, I'll do it this way. And that's where we have to come to when we meet Jesus. This is the way I thought I could make it to heaven. But nevertheless, at Thy Word, it's revealed to me that's not right. So I'm turning and going this way. That's, that is definition of, of repentance. Now, I'm going to move quickly. You with me? Say Amen. 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 That just shaved three minutes off the, off the service. Um, okay, <clears throat> look. When we embrace His presence, there's a reward. There's a reward. Now, the Lord asked Peter, can I borrow your boat? Okay, you think the Lord ever borrows something from somebody without giving back in greater measure than what He took? 
No, <laughs> no. Do you know? Do you know what he did? He he said, "Look, I'm not just going to give you your boat back. What I'm going to give you is the greatest catch of fish you've ever experienced in your life, just for letting me use your boat for a few hours." There's a great reward that comes to the person that is willing to recognize that everything belongs to the Lord. And when He asks something of me, it's not a big deal for me to say it's yours anyway. You can use it. Today, I I, I, I was blessed because um, Ed and Dorothy came in the door and there was a little question about whether they could make it. They, were, they totaled their car in an accident over the weekend. It was yesterday, yesterday morning. Totaled their car out. And, uh, and Brother Ed texted me yesterday afternoon and said, we'll probably have to be watching online. And I said, well, if I can get you a ride, will you come? He said, absolutely. So I called uh, Scott and uh, said, would you, would you pick up Ed and Dorothy? He said, nope. <laughs> no, he didn't. He said, sure, let me ask the boss. Paul, is it okay? <laughs> and, uh, but, but anyway, uh, you know, I was grateful that they, that, that they were willing to use their vehicle in the service of the king. You know, there have been times where I've called people up and said, hey, somebody's car's broken down or they, you know, they need a ride to church and you pick them up. And on the other end of the line, you get this. Um, well, where do they live? You know. Um, well, do you think you can help me with gas money? Are they going to help me with gas money? And you know, whenever I hear that nonsense, you know what I say? Hey, don't worry about it. I'll get somebody else. Because if you're not going to do it joyfully as unto the Lord, then just forget about it, man. Right? Ain't nobody got time for that. And, 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 but sometimes that's how we get with the things of the Lord. Like me, me giving the Lord a couple of hours a week in His house is a big deal. You know, hey listen, God is not a taker. He's a giver. And every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so when we embrace the presence of the Lord, we're mindful of the fact that we're in the presence of the Holy One and He is God. And, and, and we respond to His voice, then He will reward us. What did He do? He simply did what God said. He said, sure, Lord, you can use my boat. He simply did what God said. Sure, Lord, it doesn't make sense to me, but since you said to, I'll, I'll drop the nets down. It was just a simple act of obedience. And what happened was God rewarded simple obedience with supernatural results. And you know what? He'll do that for you too. He'll reward simple obedience with supernatural results. You know, sometimes people, you know, they're, they're kind of offended out of churches that talk about money all the time. That's not this church. How many of you know that? There, there, there's some people saying amen right now, like Sandy, that's been around here for like 20 years, and she knows that I'm not a big one to be, you know, buttonholing people and, you know, talking about money all the time and trying to, you know, raise big, big sums of money. That's not me. But let me just tell you something. Tithing is something that's found in the Bible. How many of you know that? That's not something I made up or some preacher that's trying to, you know, get, get rich quick. No, it's, it's in the Bible. What does the word tithe mean? It means tenth. And, uh, and God's called us to give a tenth as a starting place of our, of our giving to the Lord to show Him that we love Him. 
In this dispensation, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love Him. Because we get to. Amen? I have to pay taxes. I get to give to the Lord. Amen? <laughs> and, and, and so, look. When I'm simply obedient to the Lord, when I give my 10% and beyond that, whatever the Lord blesses me to be able to give, God will reward me supernaturally. He'll see to it that my $9 goes further than your 10 He'll see to it that my $9 goes further than your 10 And that's a fact. Uh, that's not my sermon, but I, I thought I would throw that in for good measure. It's not in my notes. You're, I know what you're thinking. I, there's probably nothing about what you've said already today that's in the notes, but that's okay. Look, God rewarded Peter also with the opportunity to be a part of something eternal, far greater, more wonderful than anything he ever imagined. And that's what He wants to do with you. To be a part of an eternal work that's never going to pass away. You know, I'm going to tell you something. You could be the President of the United States and all of your efforts are in, in eternity not going to be any more relevant or enduring than anybody else that gave a cup of cold water to a homeless person. Sometimes we try to assign importance and, and all of those things, relevance to people and, and worth, and, and that's not how God views it. God wants to reward those that are simply obedient by faith. Now, as we move along quickly, when we embrace His presence, there's a relinquishment. You know what? Peter had to relinquish his pride in the presence of the Lord. When you come into the presence of the Lord, there's no place for you to be filled with yourself. You think about when Isaiah saw the Lord, when he came face to face with God in the presence of the Lord. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. <coughs> there, there were angels that surrounded the throne that, that cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we sang about that this morning. And when he saw God, you know what he said? Woe is me, for I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And when you come into the presence of the Holy One, and you see Him for who He is, you see yourself for who you are, and there is no place for pride there, we've got to relinquish it. We've got to give it up. We've got to burn our resume and just leave it at the door, because look, whatever you think constitutes the sum of your significance should be wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Because what makes me worthy is not where I went to school, what degree I hold, what professional experience I have, what other people may be saying about me, but what gives me significance is the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords gave His life for me. And He gave His life for you. And there is nothing more significant than that. Let me say that he relinquished his pride in the presence of the Lord. And this was a process that he had to go through. Let me, let me tell you quickly. When the Lord said, launch out into the deep and let down your net for the draught, Simon Peter thought he knew it all. In his natural, he probably wanted to say, if it was anybody else, he would have said, I won't tell you how to run the carpenter shop. Don't tell me how to run the fishing business. Okay, I won't tell you how to run the carpenter shop. Don't tell me how to run the fishing business. I've been doing this for generations in my family. And, and look, I, I cut my teeth on the edge of the boat. And, and I know what to do, so you don't need to tell me. Okay, 
So he was going to humor the Lord. Right? Because he was going to look good in front of the multitudes that were standing by watching what was going on. Jesus had just finished and they were all sitting around on the beach having their breakfast or whatever it was. And so Peter thought, well, what I'll do is I'll gain some favor with the masses and they'll want to come and buy my fish whenever I catch some. And so I'll just be benevolent to Jesus who they're following. And uh, nevertheless, at thy word. So he still thought he knew it all at that point. But he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. The Lord said, let down the nets, plural. Peter said, I will let down the net, singular. So he said, this is all the more faith that I've got. <laughs> okay. And so he, he thought, I, I still know it all here. And then what happened? When he had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and the net broke. And at that point, Peter thought, I know how to deal with a broken net. I've had this happen lots of times. I know how to deal with, I still know what to do here. Okay. Then what happened? They beckoned unto their partners which were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships. So I know what to do. I'll get some help. They'll come over. We'll, we'll alleviate the pressure on this net. We'll close up the breach in the net. We'll start putting fish in the other boat. We've done this lots of times. I know what to do. Well, they filled up both the boats. And they all began to sink. And Peter, at that point, realized, I guess I don't know it all after all. You know, sometimes what we say, we speak in platitudes. We say, well, God will never give you more than you can... Is that what you say? Is that true? You know what God did right here? He gave Peter way more than he can handle. He gave him a request that was a bruise to his pride, but he did it nevertheless. And, and then... Bam! Immediately, there's more fishing he'd ever seen in his whole life. And then whammo! There's a breach in the net. The net broke. And he's trying to deal with that in his own understanding. And then he called for, for more help. And then whammo! They filled two boats. And then wham! The boats began to sink. And he's out there on the sea. And the boats are sinking. Both boats. Everybody's going down. They're going to lose the catch. They're going to lose the vessel. And maybe they're going to lose their life. I don't know what to do now. God gave him way more than he could handle. You know why? Because he wanted to bring him where he brought Paul. My grace is sufficient for thee. I know what's best for you. I know how to order your life better than you do. I can command the fish of the sea. I could command the wind and the waves. Don't worry. I've got this. And you know what? Peter had to at that point realize, I don't know what to do here. And he had to relinquish his pride. It was a process that happened quickly, but nevertheless, it was still a process. And he came to the point of sinking. He was going under before he realized that God was everything and He was nothing. And he fell on his face and he said, Depart from me, for I am a wicked man. I am a sinful man. Oh Lord. And it wasn't that he wanted God to go away. He just saw, how can I even be in the presence of such a wonderful man as this? And he saw himself for who he was in the presence of the Lord. 
And do you know what? When we embrace His presence, there is redirection. His life changed forever because the Lord said, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Don't worry about the fish, Peter. There's bigger things that I have planned for you than that yellow tail flopping around on the beach right there. What I have for you is that one day you're going to stand on the day of Pentecost and you're going to have a catch that's far greater than these fish. 3,000 men will come into the net and be saved that day. There's a redirection. There was a henceforth moment in his life because the Bible tells us this (coughs) in verse number 10. He said, from henceforth. You know what henceforth means? From this point forward. From now on. From now on. I want to ask you a question. How many henceforth moments have you had in your Christian experience? Where you had an an encounter, (coughs) encounter with God and you know from this moment forward I'll never be the same again. There needs to be some moments that you look to where you knew God was dealing with me so specifically and so clearly and so succinctly that I could not escape it and I knew who it was. And from that moment forward, I was never the same again. And most of us want to talk about, oh, my salvation, wonderful. I'm glad you have a testimony. Some people want to talk about their baptism, wonderful. I'm glad you took your stand for Jesus after you got saved. But beyond that, what did God do in your life and how did He so move in your life that you knew it was a henceforth moment? And from this moment forward, Nothing will ever be the same again for me. There was a redirection that took place that moment. They forsook their plans and hopes in favor of God's call upon their life. And they chose to follow Jesus. And my friends, so must we. Last thing I want to tell you is this that when we embrace His presence, there is rest. There's rest. I've told you that's one of my favorite words in the English language, rest. I just like how it comes off my, my lips, rest. It just sounds, it feels good to say it, you know. Even if I don't experience it, I like to say it. But the point is this, look, Peter looked at the Lord when he said, watch out into the deep, he said, what? We have toiled all night. You think the Lord said, I want you to get out there and I want you to work harder. I want you to try Harder. I want you to chum the waters and work harder at it. Is that what he said? No, that's what religion says. You're struggling spiritually. Try harder. You need to go more often. You need to do more. You need to try. You need to work more at it. You know what God says? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what He wanted to teach them? That in His presence was fullness of joy at His right hand. There are pleasures forevermore. He wanted to teach them that I'm the one that will give you rest. So you don't have to worry about where the harvest is coming from. You just need to trust Me. You just need to trust Me and rest in My power, in My wisdom, in My strength. Religion says work harder, try harder, work more, do more. Jesus says, come unto me and and rest. Jesus led them to a place where their faith would rest in Him and not in the fates 
or in their abilities, but in Him. And He calls us to rest in His presence. I'm talking to some people that are frustrated Christians today that don't know how to be still and be quiet and are trying to give something that they do not have and wondering why there's no result. It's because when we come into His presence, we're setting the terms. We're holding on to the pride. It's because we are questioning why God would ask things of us when, when we don't have it to give. or it's, it's unreasonable. I don't understand it. Listen, when we come into His presence, He's going to reveal Himself to us. And He's going to do that so we'll be more like Him so we can do what He asks us to do. That's the request part. There's going to be a turning in us. I have to walk according to my understanding, but I'm going to, I'm going to respond to the request that He makes of me in His presence. And then I'm going to be rewarded for my simple obedience, just one step at a time walking in the light, and He'll reward the light that I receive. And then I give up on my pride because I realize that all of this is more than I can handle, but with God all things are possible. And I redirect. Lord, you want me to follow you? I'll forsake everything. And I'll follow you. He didn't say, sell the boat, sell the house. No, he said, listen, follow me. What I'm, what I'm going to tell you is this. Sometimes we get this idea that if I follow Jesus, I'll never have anything, I'll never do anything, I'll never go anywhere, I'll never have any joy. I've got to wear sackcloth and ashes, live in a cave and beat a gourd and chant Gregorian chants and somehow try to find favor with God. Look, that's not what he's talking about. He wants you to have joy. And he wants to bless you. And he'll fill up your boat. Amen? When you let him use it. And I'm just simply saying, we have a wonderful Savior. And he wants you to come into his presence and embrace it. Be cognizant of it. Know what you're doing. And in the end, it'll bring you to a place of soul rest. That sounds good, doesn't it? Lord God, thank You for this time. Thank You for these sweet people. I pray, Lord, that we would consider the fact that You, <coughs> you have invited us into Your presence. And Lord, I pray that we would come with the awareness of it and may we embrace it. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today. No one is looking about. Perhaps you're seated in this room and you would say, Pastor, I know that if I died today, that my sins are forgiven and that I'm on my way to heaven. I'm sure of it. And as a testimony of that, I wonder if you'd just raise your hand as a testimony of that. Just lift it up, would you? I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I'm not ashamed to tell you. As a testimony of that, here's my hand. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Perhaps there's someone in the room that would say, Pastor, I do not know that if I died right now, that I would go to heaven. <coughs> and I am concerned about that. And I'm concerned enough about it that I would appreciate it if you'd pray for me. And if that's you today, while no one is looking except me, I wonder if you'd lift your hand and say, here's my hand, pray for me, Pastor. I do not know that if I died today that I would go to heaven. I'm concerned about it. Here's my hand, pray for me. Is there one like that? Is there one like that?
Just slip it right up and right back down. I'll see where you are and remember you in a word of prayer. And perhaps there's one in the room that would say, Pastor Mark, I, I know I'm saved, but I have not been conscientiously spending time in the presence of the Lord. I know He's in me. I know He said He'll never leave me, but I live so much of my life without even that awareness. I'm not experiencing Him. And I know that He wants me to. And if that's you today, you would say, Pastor, I want to determine in my life to embrace His presence, to live consciously aware that the Lord of glory is in me and with me. And I want that to change who I am. I want it to make me more like who He is. And if that's you today, and you would say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my heart's cry. I wonder if you'd lift your hand. Is there one like that? God bless you and you and you. God bless you and you. Many hands. Many hands. I want to think about who's with me, whose presence I'm in. I want to be mindful of it. I want to embrace it. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And whether you've lifted your hand or not, if there's one here today that is uncertain of where they would spend there forever, and you're concerned about it, I want you to make your way to me. I'll be standing at the front. Allow me to have a counselor show you in a counseling room how you can absolutely know for certain that your sins are all forgiven and that heaven is your home. Be the greatest decision you've ever made. Perhaps you're a believer friend and you'd like to just kneel across the front somewhere and say, God, I... I know you're there, but I haven't been living in your presence. I've not been conscientious about the fact that you're here, you're with me, you're in me, you're around me. And I want to be aware of it. I want to embrace that. And I want who you are to change who I am. I want to embrace you in your fullness. I want to live in your presence. And maybe you just need to tell the Lord that and begin today to experience Him in a way that you perhaps never have. He would love that with you. Lord God, I pray right now that You would work in every heart. May we be pliable to the Spirit's calling. And we pray this in the lovely name of Jesus. Our heads.